Thank you for listening to the Institute of World Politics podcast. To learn more about our graduate programs in national security, international affairs, and intelligence, or to support our work in educating future leaders, please visit www.iwp.edu. Thank you for watching this virtual lecture event hosted by the Institute of World Politics. For those of you who are new, IWP is a graduate school of national security and international affairs. We have five master's degree programs, 18 certificates of study, and a new doctoral program. We also offer the opportunity to take a single course without having to pay an entire semester's worth of tuition cost. One can also audit such a course at a much less cost. If you're interested in learning more about us, please visit iwp.edu. Today's webinar will highlight several functional aspects of an actor's craft that are also pertinent to the national security practitioner and policymaker. These include training to truly listen, attaching action to words, using the what if to create and to foresee possible scenarios, choreographing the sequence of actions and meanings to achieve a scenario objective with maximum impact and more. This evening, we will be hearing from IWP student Sebastian Smirano. Sebastian is currently creative and executive director of Dacian Wolf Productions, a stage and film development and production company where he actively writes, directs, and produces. A former lecturing professor of acting and movement at Pace University in New York City, he holds a BFA in dance and theater, an MBA in accounting, a certificate of completion of the two-year professional acting program at the William Esper Studio in New York City, and he is a candidate for the Master's in Statecraft and National Security Affairs at IWP. Since arriving in the United States from his native Bucharest, Romania in 1982, Sebastian has toured with the internationally acclaimed Palabalus Dance Theater and has taught movement, acting, and choreography workshops in Romania, Russia, Korea, Japan, Italy, Chile, Argentina, as well as at many universities in the United States. His current interests revolve around projects dealing with disinformation and narrative warfare. For more information, you can visit www.sebastiantudores.com, which will also be linked in the chat. Sebastian, welcome, and thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much, Lindsay. I, I, I really appreciate the invitation. Um, and I'm excited um, and cautious about this contribution. Um, so I, um, as you've probably heard from, from uh, that bio that I, I is very humbling, and it's the one I wrote and sent to you guys. Um, I, this is not uh, something I normally do in terms of lecturing about dance or lecturing about acting. Um, those are things that we normally get into a place, a studio, um, and try on and explore through and, uh, and discover things. So I'm going to try as much as possible uh, to keep this as um, engaging and interactive as possible through a webinar, but it is a little bizarre. Ideally, it would be uh, in some space uh, doing things. Um, so I'm going to ask that at some point, you might want to have the chat box um, available to you. Um, and I asked Lindsay to make it available for this webinar. And if we could, um, kind of reserve it for the few times when I may ask for a little bit of interactivity. It's obviously voluntary, uh, but it might be a little bit more fun. Um, my talking will be minimal, 
Um, but my, well, let me start with this. I'm, I'm very happy that I have the opportunity. You know, I'm a baby in the national security environment. I've only been at IWP for one year, which uh, I consider as, you know, a baby year. Um, and I do want to say, I do want to take this opportunity to say that as a, as a regular kind of citizen who is out in the performing arts world and in the teaching world, um, a lot of transformations have happened this year. Um, and, and despite all the, all the tragedy and all the problems that we're dealing with, uh, um, I do have to say that a couple of good things happened. One of them is that this past year, I've started actually sleeping a little better at night. And as a person, the main reason for that is that as I got to meet all of these impressive individuals that work in national security uh, through face-to-face, uh, -face, through lectures, our professors who are also practitioners, um, um, webinars, countless webinars that I've assisted, um, I don't think that the general public, of which I considered that I had been a part on uh, until this last year, uh, and I wish we knew more, I, I don't think we know enough how there is this incredible group of people that literally 24-7 do nothing but take care to make sure that I can sleep a little better at night. So as a baby in national security, I just wanted to take this opportunity to thank everybody who works in this, in this profession. Um, also being a baby in national security, I took everything in and um, it, it was a lot, it was a lot to take in, but a couple of little trends um, started reappearing for me uh, and probably because of my background, that's, that's kind of where my year went. Um, and I thought when, when Lindsay asked, uh, uh, you know, if I could um, take an hour of your life, um, uh, I thought, you know, what from my background might address some of the recurring issues that I've heard. And, and, and two of them have been that we are living increasingly in a um, uncertain environment, right? Uncertainty is kind of a fact of life, but because things are moving faster and faster and faster, it kind of increases the level of, of uncertainty or at least the perception of uncertainty. So how do we deal with uncertainty? And the other piece is how do we make sure that we are fully present in the moment so that what is in front of us is the same thing that we perceive as being in front of us? Uh, and that can go into a lot of places that I'll touch upon a little bit, uh, like biases or um, kind of false, false um, scenarios. So I'm going to not lecture, but try to give some insight into what it is that acting, and I will also get around to a little movement as well. Uh, but what these, these uh, activities, these trainings that have to do less with the brain and more with the visceral and the emotional um, part of our um, uh, existence, what can they contribute? Should they contribute? Uh, what would be the advantages? What might be some of the disadvantages? And I will do that by pointing to three things that I hope we have time for. One, I'm going to introduce you to a kind of a foundational exercise that we do in the Meisner technique. That's what I studied, and I'll tell you a little bit about it. Um, that addresses both being okay with uh, not knowing up, not knowing what's coming next as well as making sure that you're fully 
it's kind of like a, a situa situational awareness um, on, on uh, steroids. Um, second, I'm gonna present a little exercise that we do uh, that will help us be able to construct endless scenarios um, that might help us um, analyze things down to the granular level. And when I say granular level, um, for me, it's always important to go all the way to human behavior. And then the third thing that I'm gonna talk about is how may we be preparing for a fully networked world um, and what the importance of fundamentals are to that network world. Uh, and hopefully some of this will, will clear up because it may sound like nothing right now. So let me, uh, let me start by uh, giving you the shortest possible demonstration of what acting might be. So I'm actually going to ask you, if you could, to try to, wherever you are, at your chair, in, in your office, in your couch, um, just try to go through your mind and recall everything that you might have had to eat um, from the moment you got up this morning till this moment right now. And if you have a piece of paper, you might want to even jot it down. But the important thing is to really try to recall what you had to eat and then just um, become aware of that. Just list them in your mind or list them um, on a piece of paper. And just take a minute to do that. So <clears throat> let me see, where do I see? Where do I see participants? Participants, okay. Hang on just one second. Okay, fantastic. So <clears throat> I'm assuming you really did that. I'm assuming you really kind of went back and, and saw that coffee and saw that, I don't know, whatever it is that we eat. Now, let's try this. Um, let's try to genuinely hear really try to hear a conversation between people that is taking place two blocks from wherever you are right now. So just think about where those two blocks away from you are, wherever you may be right now, and really try to see if you can hear a conversation that some people that are two blocks away are having. Really try to do it. So how many people, and you can maybe raise your hand. I don't know if you know how to raise your hand. It's in the, it's in the participants window, right? Um, how many people heard that conversation two blocks away? Raise your hand if you did or, or put it in the chat box. Okay, we have some hands. So <clears throat> let's think about this. Um, What's important is not whether you heard the conversation or not. Um, I'm going to say that unless you had your window open and you live in very, very short blocks, uh, chances are you didn't really hear the conversation, but you wanted to hear the conversation. I could be wrong. It could be very close. Uh, but chances are that if you did hear the conversation two blocks away, 
you have superpowers or um, you were going along with the exercise. But the reality is you probably didn't hear the conversation. Regardless whether you heard the conversation or not, if you really tried to hear it, just like if you really tried to think about, uh, right, yes, but you must have heard it, whoever, uh, Mr. Barnes. Um, so the, the, point, the, the, the main point of this is that if you really tried to do that, then you were acting. Because the definition of acting is very, very simple. And acting is not difficult. Uh, uh, it's it's uh, excruciating, actually. But it is simple. Um, acting is defined as living truthfully under imaginary circumstances. So living is doing. So we can also refer to it as doing truthfully under imaginary circumstances. So contrary to popular belief, acting is not pretending. And acting is not... Um, making things up uh, and lying about them. Uh, I have to be very, very honest about what I'm doing in that moment. So we do an exercise in Meister's technique called repetition. And the main reasons for that exercise is to learn the way Meisner uh, uh, put it together is one, because actors never listened well and also we get anxious, right? So for example, right now, I have uh, a whole bunch of people uh, looking at me that I can't even see. Um, that might make me a little nervous. I don't script my uh, workshops. Uh, I kind of just pinpoint things. So uh, I may start feeling a little self-conscious about am I going to be able to finish the sentence? Am I making sense? How are they reacting? I can't see you. You all look like a pinhole camera. Um, I, don't, I don't have that visual feedback so that I can adjust and, and see how I'm doing. So that can really make me self-conscious. Meisner said, look, the best way to get away from anxiety is to get away from yourself. The reason why we feel self-conscious is because we're kind of standing outside there staring back at ourselves and judging. Am I making sense? Are these people thinking this was a waste of their time already? How many people put me on mute to finish their budget for tomorrow morning? I don't know. So I'm just going to imagine that you guys are having a great time. Um, so the exercise is very simple. I'm going to actually show you a couple of videos of how it goes down. Even though the only reason he put it together was to get rid of anxiety and to make sure that actors really learn how to listen. As I've guided actors to this exercise, hundreds of them, over more than six years, I have to tell you that it is an incredibly transformational exercise. And this is just the first of two years worth of um, really tough training uh, in getting to know yourself and your weaknesses and your strengths. So what does repetition uh, do? It's very simple. Let's say my partner looks at me and I'm facing my partner right now. And my partner says, um, <clears throat> she takes me in and she has to start with something that is true. So here's a true thing. Um, she might say, you're wearing a blue shirt. And that is true. My job is to repeat. But my job is not to repeat like a parrot. 
My job is to repeat and adjust it just to make the statement true. So if she says, or he says, you're wearing a blue shirt, I would have to repeat, I'm wearing a blue shirt. And then she would repeat, not what she said, but what I just said, but still adjust to make it sound true. You're wearing a blue shirt, I would say, I'm wearing a blue shirt. You're wearing a blue shirt, I'm wearing a blue shirt. It doesn't sound very difficult, right? So let me just show you a little bit of what that may look like. Uh, we might have to adjust sound a tad. I'll let you know. Uh, let's see, share. This is a lot of production here. Okay, hopefully you can see my screen. to really take each other in, trying to connect, and trying to most of all listen to each other. So a few things happen. One is you do what we normally do, which is I'm going to wait for you to talk so that I can repeat what I just said. But that would violate the exercise, right? So the point of it is to wait for the other person to speak so that I can process that and then give it back to you. There's four levels of the exercise, and I'm just going to go through them quickly, and I'm not going to belabor the exercise. I just want to get to what it does to you. There's the first level of just speaking truthfully, uh, something that we very, very seldom get the chance to do, right? Uh, second, uh, it's what's called the pile-up. So if I repeat enough the same thing that the other person's saying, and she repeats the same thing that I'm saying, at some point, Instinctually, is going to pile up and you're going to start changing it, not, be, not from here. The whole point is to get the brain out of it. But from here, uh, you're wearing a blue shirt. I'm wearing a blue shirt. You're wearing a blue shirt. I'm wearing a blue shirt. You're wearing a blue shirt. Yeah, I'm wearing a blue shirt. So that, yeah, I'm wearing a blue shirt, that addition didn't happen because I wanted to be interesting. And I thought that, you know, I, I, I got bored with saying the same thing. I want to change it up, be smart about it. It happened because of an impulse an organic impulse that wasn't uh, started by me, it was started by the other person, and that's gonna be very important. So let me show you what that might look like a little bit later on. So the important part of that is that we start seeing how many layers of everything 
words, behavior, gestures um, are actually covering the truth of what is happening to me and what is happening in front of me. So I don't know if you caught it, but she called him out on the fact that he was getting a bit defensive, right? And the first instinct that we have is to defend back. So you're getting a little irritated. The normal thing for me to do so I don't feel uncomfortable is to kind of close it off and negate and say, I'm not, I'm not getting defensive at all. As you go through the exercise, and let me tell you, it becomes a, a, an instinctual, impulsive roller coaster. And I've seen people do everything, me included, when I was training from uh, developing into complete laughter fits uh, all the way to I'm not talking to my acting colleague for two weeks because he got really that intense. And what guides all of it is the search to unlayer the truth of what is actually happening, not just in front of me, but within me. So I want you to look at this next little scene. The sound is a little, there's a lot of back noise. I apologize for that. These are very old tapes, actually from Sandy Meisner's class, I found them. And I want you to see if you can pinpoint at least two places where he lies and one place where she attacks out of vulnerability because she got attacked. So she counterattacks. And I want to see if you can if you can see that at all. Let me share it again. So the screen was not shared, right? Um, so you're saying that it was impossible for you to tell where they were lying or not? I would assume so. All right, let me try that again. And I think we're going to go for a pressing share this time. Funny? Yeah, what's so funny? You're kind of funny. I'm kind of funny. 
Okay. So, <clears throat> did you catch him? Did you catch where he, it took him at least three or four repetitions to kind of admit that he was being sarcastic? In fact, I, I don't think he even admitted that one, even to the very end. Um, we get defensive very quickly. It's how we protect our ego. It's how we protect, um, you know, our day, uh, our identity, uh, and anything that attacks it. Um, it's very difficult to, uh, just like that, uh, say, you're right, I, I was actually being an idiot. Um, did you catch where she got a little passive aggressive? Um, some people may, uh, may argue that that never happened, but uh, I think that her response, if you do this after a while, I think that her response uh, of what's so funny, and she says, well, I think you're kind of funny. Um, if you're kind of just from the outside looking at it, sounds like a regular thing, but my, my sense is that it also came from the fact that it took her a little bit off guard, and she kind of came back with almost a little bit of a, of a jab at him. Well, you kind of find it. Um, so what, why, why would you do this for uh, probably about two to three weeks? And this is really only the beginning, but it's kind of like an icebreaker. Why would you spend two or three weeks doing this with your partner for hours and hours and hours and hours? What happens ultimately um, is that you try to get a visceral sense of what it's like to connect to another human being, which is very different than a meeting of the minds, so to speak. You know, for example, most of you would go to work if you work in national security and, and your, your professional demeanor in that profession is to make sure that you are um, sober-minded, that you um, are able to analyze um, a lot of situations, that you're able to weigh scenarios in a very rational sense, make decisions based on um, you know, probabilities or advantages versus disadvantages. If I, as an actor, go to work, then my responsibility is to do before I think, is to act on my impulses, kind of play ping pong off the other person, kind of what we saw in the repetition. And if at all possible, to make sure that I'm relaxed enough and open enough emotionally, unveiling every psychological wound I can possibly muster so that if I hear a particular line or if I see a particular image, um, hopefully it'll hit me where it hurts the most and it will elicit an emotional reaction. So that's what I do when I go to work. So the question is, which one's more human? And obviously the answer is both. And one of the things that um, I'm looking into as I, as I continue at IWP is, are we developing both of these abilities equally? Um, should we be? And from what I've heard so, so far, um, uh, uh, being spoken about and, and the concerns and the things um, that there's a need for creativity, that there's a need for outside the box thinking, which is a, which is a very interesting phrase. Um, I do believe that there is an advantage um, to making sure that we don't neglect the development 
of the human being, uh, of the emotional side, of the spiritual side. Um, technology is solving a tremendous amount of problems for us, but you know, technology is also creating a tremendous amount of problems. But technology is not flesh and blood, as we would say. And ultimately, if I'm fighting cyber, I'm actually fighting some teenager that for some reason was able to get into Twitter, for example, a couple of weeks ago, right? Uh, I'm not fighting nuclear weapons. I'm fighting um, a group of individuals who think that um, uh, that would be a great tool with which to oppress the entire world. I'm not fighting a government. I'm fighting somebody who orders somebody else for a very specific human reason that I want you to take these people um, and make sure they stay locked up in their house. So it's always people. And whether we're doing, I guess what I'm saying is that we have to remember what's a tool and what's the end game. And the fact that um, if we don't address the human part of it, uh, all we're pretty much doing is just playing ping pong with problems, potentially. I don't know. I am, I am, I was happy to do this presentation because, and I'll give you my email at the end in the chat box. Um, please challenge me. Please write me emails about why this is of no help or why this is a, um, whatever you think would challenge me. I, I, I hope that I can hear from you because as I, go forth to bring this uh, approach to solving some of this issue, which is a, a visceral approach, not a not a logical approach. Um, I'm going to need um, I'm going to need the feedback and the challenge to tell me why this is a waste of time or why this wouldn't work so then we can figure out. Um, but. So we learn to connect from repetition. We really learn how to read a person, right? We also say that acting is behavior not just uh, uh, words. Um, I can say many, many, many things without saying anything. I'm sure we all know that. In fact, there's a little uh, short version that you might want to try with a friend. Uh, by the way, there, there, there are problems in relationships once you start studying acting because you get really honest and, and, and stuff that you, and really brave about your honesty, by the way, too. So stuff that, that you kind of hold in because you think it's, I don't know why, um, starts blurting out at some points. And that would be the honesty in you. And um, sometimes that's bad. Uh, sometimes that's um, long uh, uh, in coming. So the three uh, moment game that you can do to try to see how good you are at, at reading people. For example, you know, I don't, you don't, I don't know if you see her, you probably don't see her, but I see Lindsay. I see Lindsay there, and uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna say something to Lindsay, and that she's just gonna literally repeat back to me uh, what I said. She doesn't have to do anything else. Um, the color of your wall is ridiculous. The color of your wall is ridiculous. Great. So the third moment would be, so that was the first moment. Um, it was the color of your wall, but that's okay, right? Um, and I, I, I don't think you can see her, but she said it a little bit pan-faced so as to not derail her professional demeanor, which is always there. Uh, but what I could see from her is that she didn't really like 
what I said. So the third moment for me, instead of repeating that, would have to be what is in front of me. I know what I'm hearing. I know what's going on, but what is really going on in front of me that I'm not calling out because I'm distracted by what she said. So the color of your wall is ridiculous. The color of my wall is ridiculous. My third moment would have to be you didn't appreciate what I said. It's a great little thing to do anywhere with anybody that can really educate what effect our language, what effect our demeanor, what effect our actions have on those around us. Um, not to speak of the fact that, you know, when you're, when you're speaking, when, when you're having meetings with, um, you know, with adversaries or, or competitors, as we sometimes call them, um, then, uh, you know, we all know that we can hear one thing, but that doesn't have to mean that that's what is being done. So we connect, we learn how to read a person. Um, you really learn how you affect other people. And that is a very, very good lesson for, for oneself. Um, you definitely learn how to listen, without which we, um, not only can we not do anything effectively, we probably should not even go into action. So the one thing that you learn is that what I do doesn't really depend on me. I don't generate anything, right? You you have a visceral understanding of what it's like to only do what the other person has you do. Um, I think that can even be tied into the um, um, concept of proportionality, right, in conflict. What is a proportional response to it? Uh, I don't know. It depends what you made me do. Um, you definitely gain a very deep visceral awareness of yourself and the most the most important thing that i want to share with you uh because it's very hard to speak about everything that it does to you and this is one of the things i think why i've heard stuff like creativity and 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 emotional work isn't um being brought in to national securities because you can't really measure it you can't measure it you can't quantify it so then you go well how do i budget for it and how do i know if it has any effect um, and I can just say, trust me, it does. Um, but I think we know that it does. To do this kind of work, to do the kind of work where you're trying to, as we say, change people's hearts, not just minds, takes a very, very long time. And if I, if I think of all my students that I've seen literally change in front of my eyes over weeks and months or years, it was only able to happen because we had um, created a space where it was safe to explore, risk, and absolutely fail. But that takes time. So I started thinking about this because we're talking a lot about disinformation these days and how it's, uh, it's using social media uh, like a sprinkler basically, right? Um, and and we're, we're, I've heard a lot of very valid, legitimate and effective, rational explanations of how we might go about it. Uh, the one most often heard, of course, being, well, we have to really educate people on their biases. We have to explain to them what these biases are, and if they understand them, then they're not going to retweet or they're not going to 
um, repost the meme, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I am going to just throw out that that might not be as easy as we think, precisely because I also understand that eating a box of donuts is most likely not good for me, but I do. So, or if anybody really knows me on the call, uh, I should have said rice pudding. That's my weakness. Now you all know. Um, so I, I'm afraid that what we're doing a little bit with, with social media specifically is that it's the same as if we're saying to people, look, sugar kills in large quantities, okay? Now, the only way out of the grocery store is through the cookies aisle. So on the one hand, we're saying, look, I'm, I'm really going to clarify things for you. I'll, I'll, I'll show you what a bias is. I'll, I'll, I'll make you understand what it is. But you know where you're going to find that explanation? What? In the chaos of social media. So I think there's going to be a challenge in that for them to receive it and to process it and then to be able to act on it. Because I'll remember that donuts are not good for me. But not at the end of the day, after I've had a really rough day, I come home, I open the fridge, there is a tabbouleh salad and a Krispy Kreme. You know, and I know we all want to think that we have great willpower, but you know the Krispy Kreme is gone. So it's the same thing. I understand biases. I understand that I have them. But when I'm upset and when somebody just screamed at me or somebody just attacked my identity and then I get on Twitter or Instagram and the first thing I see is something that I believe in, I will repost that thing faster than I can blink. And then I'll say, oh, what have I done? I don't know how many, forgive my French, hangovers that we commit to never having again. So it takes time. And I see or, or I'm thinking, and, and again, I would love to hear your thoughts on this. I'm thinking that part of, part of what we need to do is also make sure, thank you, Rachel, is, is, uh, is to make sure that we do not forget to create the space. I don't know how you can create space on social media, but I, I am a little bit concerned about the fact that, um, you know, we have, um, and I don't want to sound naive, but 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 everything does kind of, you know, obviously need money to be done or run, or does it? I don't know. I think human things might not need as much money as we think. Uh, but I'm not hearing enough talk about really helping people literally get off social media. You know, kind of wean off that very addictive habit. So so it, I I feel like we're we're. We're, um, we're allowing a problem to, to keep happening, and all we're kind of doing is saying, well, as long as nobody dies, we'll just kind of keep them on there and make sure that they don't spread too much disinformation. But maybe part of the strategy should be, hey, why are you using social media so much as opposed to going for a hike? What, in other words, what, what is this doing to our human life? Um, and there's countless studies, and I've also worked with high school students for 23 years now. And I can tell you that it is not good for our health. I, I surveyed each one of my students, so it may be a surprise those of you who have children, uh, or maybe not a surprise, that they spend, on the average, between 7 and 17 hours of every week on social media. 
Um, I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but I'm saying that might be a bad thing. Um, so the other thing I'm going to throw out there with this repetition thing is this. Um, to maybe think about the difference between truth understood. I mean, this is a very important element. I do need to be able to understand my biases, for example, right? I do need to be able to understand that. So that's not like that shouldn't be part of the equation. But is it the entire equation? Because it, it is my experience that truth felt is a, makes a bit more of a long-lasting impact than truth just understood. And if you do get a chance to do these repetition exercises for a considerable amount of time, any, any actor will tell you that one of the things that has happened, and we know this even from history, is that truth spoken, like honestly spoken, is also, I believe, stronger than truth heard, right? Re-education programs, the Piteshti experiment, for example, in Romania, if anyone is, is, is familiar with that, uh, but or or any any authoritarian regime that makes you sign a confession uh, or tries to re-educate what you believe in wants you to say it. They want you to say it because once you say it, that impacts you differently than if you just say, yes, I agree with you, but it doesn't come out of your mouth. There's something that truth does viscerally that when spoken can literally take you down to your knees. In, in movies, we call those the climaxes, right? The points of catharsis, where it's all that pent-up energy, and then you speak the truth, and the truth might set you free, but it would be likely, you know, on your knees crying, bawling your eyes out, because you've never really felt what it's like to speak the truth. We do that very seldom. Very seldom do we do that. Um, so that's... That's about that little exercise. Uh, I want to show you quickly. Ah, and I'm not going to get to everything. <laughs> Pretty sure I said I don't lecture. And I might have lied. Um, justification. This is the other thing that actors have spent a lot of time doing. And this is now a little bit more of a, of a mental exercise, right? Where you ask to justify every action that's happening. And I'm going to show you a very quick little fun exercise that we used to do that deals with uh, nursery rhymes. We've taken nursery rhymes. Um, so let's take, where's that nursery rhyme? I think it's this one. Okay. Do you see it? Yeah, everybody sees it? Great. Uh, I don't know. Do you see it? Yes, I think we do. So it's eeny, meeny, miny, mo, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So what we would do is they say, look, you have to take this text. And let's say you're uh, in a group of four. And you have to create around it a scenario. And that scenario has to have believability, right? So it can be like, I just landed from the moon. No, it has to really be believable. And it has to be airtight in terms of whether it makes sense or not. Right? That is a lot of the work that we do aside from the emotional work. How to justify absolutely everything. William Esper, I went to the Esper Studio in New York City, which is a phenomenal school. Um, not because I went there, it's just a phenomenal school. That's why I went there. Um, 
But Esper used to say that that actors need to be amazing at justifying. So what can I do with that text? What can that text mean? And I'm just going to give you a very quick example because I don't want to get to some Q&A. And I still want to show you a couple of videos. Um, let's say it's four people. What could the scenario be? I don't know. Maybe it's four people uh, in two groups of two and they're meeting each other, right? So they're going to shake hands and they're going to introduce each other. Eeny, meeny, oh, I'm mining, mo. And you can't add any words. You just kind of have to go with that, right? But that first line could also be, for example, um, three people getting interrogated. And the interrogator says, eeny. And the other person corrects him, uh, meeny. Miny mo, you see? So you could play around with these lines as long as they make sense and as long as you could justify the entire story. Um, it is very difficult to do. It is very difficult to do because you look at that text and you go, well, none of it makes sense. But when you get good at it, you can create something out of it that was never there, right? It's almost like, uh, it's almost like organic chemistry. You know, you've got two molecules and all of a sudden you put them together and that third one you would have never thought could happen. So why would this kind of thing be important? Um, we craft as actors to the level of moment by moment behavior, right? So I was thinking, and again, I, I welcome criticism uh, on this because I'm a baby in national security. Um, well, it's probably not nice to criticize a baby too much. Um, so I was thinking if, if for example, you, you have a, an Iraqi young man and you drill down in, in your analysis of what you might want to do or how you might want to approach moving into that village or moving into that city, into that town, because I understand there were some problems early on. Um, and if you have the ability to say, how will this affect not the people in the town, not that community, but what about that one individual? And I think people that work with, with radicalization probably already know this. What about that young man? Let's say he gets up in the morning and you're able to kind of go along with him, not think about it, but feel it, feel your way through what that might be as he gets up in the morning, sits on the side of the bed. Maybe he turns around and the first thing he sees is that little book on his little table. It's an American book given to him by a special operations uh, member uh, as they went through town. And they had some kind of a conversation and the kid really wanted to learn English and our soldier left the book behind. What's that going to do to his day? And let's say that that day is when he's supposed to go and give an ultimatum to his friends of whether they're going to, whether he wants to be recruited or not. So that's one option, that he's going to sit up, all concerned about what he's going to do, and then he sees that little book, and he'll feel a certain way about the decision he's about to make. Should he become, uh, uh, should he join him or should he not? As opposed to, let's say, he sits up and sits on the side of the bed 
And the first place that his focus goes to is a spot in the middle of his floor, which triggers the memory of his brother's face being smashed by an army boot. And then he hears the mom crying and screaming. That kind of granular level might add a little extra layer of how should we approach dealing with a specific situation. Um, and I have to say, I don't, we might already be doing this. This is why I'm a little, I'm very cautious and I, I keep uh, throwing out these disclaimers because, you know, I don't, I don't have a security clearance. I'm not involved in this thing. We might very well be doing these things. And if we are, I think that's fantastic. Um, but my overall thing that I keep coming back to is that we really, I feel that we really need to keep developing the spiritual, emotional part of the human being as much as we're doing the knowledge part of the human being, uh, that you cannot separate the two. And I do feel that the pace going faster and faster and faster and faster is not giving us the room to even figure out who the heck we are. It's not giving us the room to figure out even what we stand for anymore. What is it that we're, we're uh, what is it that we're bringing together? Um, and that's probably not a good place to be as our entire environment just becomes this very networked mesh of little elements, right? So I just want to show you. Uh, and, 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 you know, I, 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 uh, I listened to an entire week. Uh, Insa did a really nice uh, week-long um, um, series of webinars on, on well, women and diversity. It was really, it was really enlightening to watch. Um, and there's a lot of talk, even with my high school students, about STEM and how we want to get more, more young people into STEM. Um, but I also want to show you, because knowledge breeds confidence, but I just want to throw something your way. I just want to throw something else your way. I, sorry, I didn't realize I had me mighty mo there for the whole time. Um, I just want to, I'm sure you've all memorized it by now. I want to show you that there might be other options along with, not instead of, but along with, that might also get us to understand. Um, yeah. Well, I saw a question, and I think that if you watch this, you won't be able to help but empathize or more. Let me just make sure. Hang on a second. Let me do that again. Sorry. Okay. I was good. I could watch that all day because it gives me hope. Um, so the reason why I wanted to show you that is just to kind of point out, sorry, sorry, just to kind of point out that what sets apart 
these emotional developments as opposed to the, the, the rational and the logical uh, developments is that, uh, you know, if I play with Legos to become more creative as an analyst or just as a person, um, I'm going towards a finite objective. So it's not so much creativity, if you ask me, as ingenuity. What can I do with this set of Legos? I can put it this way, I can put it that way, I can put it that way. But it is always, always, always um, towards a finite objective. What sets acting or dancing um, or any kind of this internal, not emotional, non-rational non uh, exploration uh, aside is that I'm an, I have an open gate in front of me. So I get to know myself and I get to know what I can do not by finishing tasks, but by exploring how far I can go. And it never ends. So you have this kind of um, never-ending continuum of, of, uh, of trying to find yourself. And I know it sounds poetic, uh, but poetry is nice. Um, so lastly, this is kind of fundamental, and these are things that don't take a lot of money to do. In fact, that I might take any money to do. And it, I, I feel it might behoove us to, because I did hear a lot of people in national security be concerned about the lack of creativity or the lack of empathy. Somebody just mentioned empathy. Um, you know, if there's an accident on the side of the street, we will stop and look at it because empathy just means that that can happen to me, to kind of answer your question, Anne, right? That can happen to me. That's why I'm really attracted, uh, attracted not in the sense of like, oh, look how awesome. Oh my God, that could happen to me. Um, you could have been in Beirut today. Or not, but you could have been. And if we don't take the time It's just going to be a box. Oh, look at look at that event in Beirut. And if we don't have the time to say that's not an event and go granular on it and look at what happens, and again, maybe, maybe we are doing that. But I think in general, you can't. It's impossible to do that at the pace at which we're kind of driving everything in society right now. Um, technology is a tool. So I think part of our responsibility is to make sure that that tool is used to accomplish what is good and what is aesthetically or meaningfully beautiful and what is actually truthful. Not just, um, you know, sometimes we're just, there's some brilliant people doing a lot of brilliant things, but sometimes you just kind of have to ask, why are you doing them? Do you have to do them? You know, one of my favorite quotes is from Luis Jorge Borges. He's an Argentinian writer who said, don't speak unless you can improve the silence. Oh, I long for that world. Our world is full of noise. So I wonder if some of why some of our efforts that we're pouring billions of dollars into might not be better served if we can also at the same time try to create, to kind of take down the temperature, take down the noise, right? Bruce Lee in his uh, Jeet Kune Do technique talked a lot about 
Um, look, you can't hit a target that doesn't exist. And when you're talking about information that flows like electrons, right? I'd rather look at, at Jeet Kune Do and I'd rather look at Aikido, which deals with how do you take things that are already in motion going where you don't want them to go and um, guide them into a, a, better, a better world, right? A better spot. Aikido means the spiritual path to love, but I'll kill you. Um, so I don't, well, we have an hour. Is that true, Lindsay? Great. So let's go for, I'm going to shut up and let's go for those four minutes of a Q&A. And it might just uh, be a Q and no way. Okay. I'll let you take over. <laughs> One question, um, how or do you think that social media could be used to either find truth or um, or used for good? I think it's already used for good a lot. Um, I, I was, um, I forget the exact name, but I mean, there's, there's uh, July 30th was um, uh, National Child Trafficking Day, I, I believe. Um, so you, you can organize a lot of great things. The nice thing about social media is that is that people can communicate, right? That's what we were kind of pitched on. Hey, wouldn't it be great if all of us can communicate? No, I don't think so. I, I, I don't, I'm not sure why people thought that everybody talking at once was a good idea. Uh, however, it's not social media's platform fault, just like it's not cocaine's fault, right? And I don't mean to accidentally put those two together. There have been studies that say that when I hit, when I see a like on my post, it 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 activates the same um, uh, uh, same chemistry in my endocrine system that uh, cocaine does, right? So, and it's not like they didn't know that. So it's on to us to educate people. To educate, I don't tell people what to do. I was born in Romania under Ceausescu, under communism. I will never tell somebody what to do because I didn't like it at all. But we can create that space for them where they can struggle to finding, uh, thank you, Anna. Uh, oh, Lindsay, not even me. Ah. Um, where they can find that truth, where they can find who they're about. But you know, we're not gonna find out who we're about on social media. I'm really, I'm, I, I have to be honest about that. Uh, to find out who you are, you need quiet. To find out who you are, you need space. And to find out who you are, you need unobtrusive guidance. Unobtrusive guidance. And here's where I'm going to lose like half half the people, which you're either going to find reading philosophy or, or in religion. I, I don't think you can find it on social media, no matter how well-intentioned social media is. And, and it's really shouldn't, you know, we got to do the hard fight. We have to do the hard work. We're always kind of taking the shortcut. Oh, the world's going to crap. Great. How can we flush the toilet? Instead of trying to say, and, and you know, my examples are getting more and more academic as the, as the webinar goes on. Instead of saying, why are we creating so much of it to have to flush? And that only comes from here. And I go to Solzhenitsyn's quote, right? That the line between good and evil is through here. Um, yes, I did listen to Voice of America. Yes, I did watch Dallas. Yes, I do think Larry Hagman has a point that he can take some credit 
for the fall of communism in Bucharest. Um, uh, and yes, music does reach you at a visceral level. Uh, um, um, art reaches you at a visceral level. And it is a very good complement to all the other brilliant stuff that we're doing right now. I think that's my point. What do you say, Linz? Is that, yeah? Yes, well, I think that's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for joining us today. It was so great to hear from you. Um, thank you to everyone who tuned in on Zoom and on Facebook. Um, for those of you who are interested in attending other upcoming webinar events, supporting IWP, or applying to one of our graduate programs, please go to iwp.edu. And thanks again, Sebastian. Thank you. And again, please get in touch and uh, grill me, ask me, challenge me so that I have something to do this coming year. <laughs> thank you.